Mark 10. We started this back in May, I think it was, you know. Wow. And um, didn't think it would go that long, but, but, but uh, we've been talking about how to reach your maximum potential. That's the name of the series, Reaching Your Maximum Potential. And I felt that there were certain things I felt, felt that were pertinent uh, that would help us in our walk with God, which is the most important thing. And so far we've covered some, some certain areas that we talked about, number one, to reach your maximum potential. We talked about, and review real quickly, asking for God for wisdom daily. Ask Him for wisdom. Number two, we talked about recognizing the role of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number three, we said, we talked about seeing yourself as God sees you. How many know that's really important, that you see yourself how God sees you? And then we talked about how to keep fear out of your life. Number five, we talked about how to have a positive expectation for your future. Really important. And then the last week, we talked about guarding your heart. How many of you know that's really important? The Bible talks about guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of the forces of life. And, uh, and today we want to wrap this up. And we're going to, I'll introduce what we're going to talk about here in a second. But Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, let's go over there. Is that working back there? Okay. Luke chapter 7. I apologize for the lyrics today. We had a little glitch here for the, the songs, but I think we'll have the scriptures. In Luke chapter 17, starting in verse number 11. Did you come ready to receive from the Lord today? Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we pick it up here in verse 11. It says this, And it came to pass that as he went, to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he entered into a certain village, and there met him uh, ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now that's significant, they stood afar off. Now most of you are probably familiar with the fact that this disease called leprosy that was uh, prominent back in the times of Christ was a very contagious uh, disease, and they would have certain quarantine areas where people that had that disease would stay in those areas, you know. And if you ever saw the movie Ben-Hur, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever see that movie Ben-Hur before? Okay. What a great movie. And, and so, uh, you know, people that had leprosy, they were despised. I mean, they were put off in, a, in an area. They couldn't go around the general public because they, were contamin they would contaminate people, you know. And even if they came close to people that weren't diseased, they would have to cry out, unclean. So that they would warn people like a sign, okay? Terrible disease. And it would just eat their body parts and, you know, their limbs would fall off and stuff like that, eventually kill them. And, and so we see here in the ministry of Jesus that, that as he entered, verse 12, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now we know why they stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, notice they didn't ask for healing. They asked for mercy. Okay? There's a difference between mercy and faith because mercy will give you what, you're, what you don't have faith for. Amen? They said, Lord, we need your mercy. We don't have the faith. We don't have what it takes, but I'm asking for your mercy. And you know, you can still ask for your mercy. That's not an excuse to not have faith, but we can ask for mercy. They lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, Master... Notice the respect that they had. They called him master. Now, somebody that you have respect for, 
You know, if you, don't, if you don't have respect for somebody, you don't call them master. You know what I'm saying? They said, Master Jesus, uh, have mercy on us. In verse 14, and when he saw them, Jesus saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. All right? So we have here ten grown men that had the disease of leprosy. And they cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on us. And here's what Jesus said, go your way, show yourself to the priest. Now, when Jesus said that, they still had the leprosy. They still had the leprosy. But they had to start walking by faith. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. Okay? So sometimes, you know, it's as you leave that things happen. Maybe a miracle sometimes is instantaneous, but, but sometimes it's, it's a gradual thing as well. A healing can be gradual. But the main thing is, is you're moving forward. Now, in this case, they had leprosy, which is a terminal disease here. It's going to kill them. And it says that, uh, let's pick up here in uh, verse 14. And when, they saw, when he saw them, they, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. And he fell down on his face and his feet, giving him thanks, for he was a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is a half-Jew. Okay? In case you're wondering. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And they're not found that return to give glory to God, save this one stranger. Okay? Now, here you have one out of ten. Ten were healed. Ten were cleansed, right? And as they started to go, they must not have been too far from Jesus. And the priest, the high priest in the Old Testament, would examine someone to see if they were healed so that they could be, you know, give their, his rubber stamp of approval so they could go back into the general public to say that they don't have this disease anymore. That's the reason. He, it's in Levitical law, that's the way it was set up. They, the priest was like a doctor. He would examine them. Okay? And so, as they went, they were healed and cleansed, but the one returned and came back to Jesus, and he gave thanks. He fell on the ground. He gave glory to God, and he gave thanks to God. And Jesus made mention of this. He said, uh, weren't there ten healed, but where's the other nine? <laughs> Isn't that something? So only one out of ten came back with a grateful heart, with a thankful heart, and said, Lord, thank you. I give you glory. Okay? Amen? I believe, I choose to believe that this man, someone said that they did some research on this, and this man was made whole, so if he lost any limbs, they were restored completely. Okay? I don't know about the other ones. They were healed. All right? But in this case here, this man received something that the other nine didn't receive. Jesus said ten were healed, but where's the other nine? Only one out of ten came back. Amen? Do you know that's probably the way it is probably today in most of society? People are not really thankful. They're not really grateful. One of the signs of the last times is people will be unholy, unthankful. If you read in the, in the New Testament and in the epistles, Paul talks about signs of the times, you know, that you know, children be disobedient to their parents and all this kind of stuff, like rebellion and stuff. And he said, he lists a whole bunch of things. He said, unholy, unthankful, okay? And these are, these are one of the signs of the end times. And the Lord started stirring my heart up about this uh, just recently because 
sometimes unconsciously we can let this slip from our lives and we, we get caught up in the, in the situations that are at hand that we're dealing with in our, in our lives, right? And we, we're like, we're not even thinking about giving thanks. But I think God wants to stir us up. And this is not like a Thanksgiving sermon. This is something, it's a lifestyle, okay? Forget the turkey and all that stuff, okay? We're talking about a lifestyle of giving thanks and being thankful, praise God. Now, I have found this, that the more thankful we are, and I'll show this to you by the scripture today. This is our last point that we're talking about. The more thankful we are to God, the more He can give us. The more He can give us. Now, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter for a minute here. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. We'll spit that out there. I wrote down here, only the grateful and thankful in heart are in a position to receive more from God. Amen? And I tell you, if we ever lived in a day in a society where this is true, it's now people are ungrateful, they're unthankful. And, and I, there's something powerful about this when we start exercising. Number one, it'll affect you. If you're thankful, it'll affect your attitude. Amen. Being unthankful will give you a sour attitude. How many of you know that? Anybody been there and done that? Just being unthankful, you know, complaining, you know, and so forth. Complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving. And it's interesting because if you read the, through the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, where the Israelites came out of Egypt, you know, and God delivered them and so forth, you know, it, and, and they were in the wilderness and so forth. And, and uh, the Bible says that they murmured and they grumbled in their tents. Okay? God heard them. They're in their tents because they didn't have permanent dwelling places. They had tents in the wilderness, right? And so uh, the scripture says that God heard them grumble in their tents and they complained in their tents. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23 that God permitted, He didn't cause it, but He permitted uh, uh, poisonous snakes, vipers, to come out. They're, they're already there in the wilderness and many of them were bit, many of them died, okay? And they got a wake-up call, and they said, they said, Moses, we've grumbled again. We've complained against God. We've complained against you, and do something about this. Remember that? And so the Lord instructed Moses to uh, make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever would look upon that intensely, it means to intently look upon that, would be healed of whatever disease that they had, not just the snake bite. Okay? And that disease, I mean that, that pole is a type of Christ because in John 3 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that brazen serpent, which is judgment, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so that brazen serpent was a type of Christ. As they looked and gazed intently upon that, they were healed. All right? But the, the, if you back up what we talked about, they opened up the door, uh, the Israelites, they should have been thankful, but they opened up the door through complaining and grumbling and belly aching, as we would say, you know. And it opened up the door for the enemy to come in. Do you ever read that? Just a, just a powerful thing, you know. Well, don't you know that the opposite would be true? What's the opposite of complaining? Rejoicing, Rejoicing being thankful, right? So the opposite would be true. It's interesting that Philippians is called the joyful epistle Yet it was written from a prison cell. <laughs> Amen? And like I said a few weeks ago, the word joy or joyful or rejoice is mentioned 16 times in the book of Philippians. We'll see that today as we, we get into this. 
So that, in other words, your circumstances should not determine your level of joy as a believer. Our circumstances should not determine. Amen. There might be many reasons why we shouldn't have joy. But listen, our joy is not in things, it's in God. Amen. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the, the scripture says this. Paul the Apostle said, in everything, say in everything, in everything, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, if you ever wanted to know what God's will was, this is it right here. In everything, give thanks. Hallelujah. That means when you don't have money in the back. That means when your body's hurting. That means when your children are acting like a demon-possessed kid. <laughs> okay? Whatever th things are not necessarily working, if you're able to give thanks, not for that, but in that. You see, we don't give thanks for sickness and disease because it's not from God. We don't give thanks for poverty and lack. That's not from God. But we can, give, we can give praise and joy in that. Okay, we're not thanking God for that because it didn't come from Him. But our joy in that situation can cause us to break through those things supernaturally. Hallelujah. And so, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, once again, say, in everything. Okay, no, that, that means whatever you're going through, in everything. Well, Pastor, I'm going through this trial, I'm going through this test, I'm going through this situation, you know. Hey, look, we all do, don't we? But in that, give thanks. Hallelujah. You see, stop and think about it for a minute. Whoever controls our joy is really controlling us. If I'm sad, if I'm depressed, if I'm discouraged then who's controlling my emotions? Just stop and think about that. It's not a trick question. If I'm, if I'm allowing the devil to control my, the way I feel, the way I act, and my joy level, then I'm actually letting him control me. And I don't want to do that. I don't want him to control me for one split second. Amen? But, on the other hand, on the flip side, this is the good news. If we look to God and we look to Him, He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. Last time I checked, the Bible says God is the same yesterday. In Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now, the devil will try you on that. He'll, he'll test you on that to see if you really believe that. But you know what? We can pass the test. We can pass the test. Amen. We can be joyful in the midst of anything that's going on because we know the outcome. Because if we're trusting God, we know the outcome. We know how it's going to turn out. Amen. 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 Glory to God. A number of years ago, I remember I, I got this illustration. I was in Washington, D.C. And we were at a, uh, at, a, at a Bible conference. We were down there at a meeting, kind of Copeland meeting actually, in, in uh, uh and I turned the television on in our hotel, and I saw that the, uh, they had the, uh, the Pittsburgh hockey team, the Penguins, on there playing, you know. And they were losing like, I don't know, 3-1 to one or something like that, you know. And, uh, but I already, there, it was a delayed game, you know. I already knew the outcome that they won, okay. So I'm looking at their faces, they're looking all intense and really, you know, and so forth. But I, I knew the outcome, and they, of course, they came back because I knew the outcome, and that was a delayed reaction. 
they were shown the game for whatever reason. And you know what? That's the way it is in life. We can, we can look at situations that are going on around us and it looks like we're losing. It looks like we're losing. But we know how it's going to turn out. Amen? Because we read the back of the book and it says we win. Amen? And we're called to be over. The Bible says whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Anybody can shout and be glad and get excited when things are going well in your life. But it's when things aren't looking so good. It takes a man or a woman of faith to rejoice even in the midst of something that doesn't look very good. Amen. Amen. So in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hallelujah. Now sometimes you get, the Bible talks about putting on the garment of praise. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Isaiah talks about that. Okay? You ever feel heaviness before? I feel like, oh man, you know, I feel depressed, I feel this, I feel that. You know, that's a spirit of heaviness, right? Well, the, the scripture tells us to put on the garment of praise. That's like a cloak you put it on. Like this jacket, I put it on me. Nobody put it on me. I had to put it on myself. And so we have to put on that garment of praise and thanksgiving and say, Oh, Father, I choose to rejoice in you today. And I'll tell you, that gives great glory to God when you, you give Him praise and thanksgiving and you let God control your emotions when things aren't looking so good. Okay? But when it turns around, you know where it came from. Okay? Now go over to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. And I want to show you something here. In Matthew, chapter 15. And we're going to look here at one of the miracles among many that Jesus did by feeding the, the, the people supernaturally, providing food, multiplying fishes and loaves. Now, He didn't do this just once. He did it a few times, okay, and fed the multitudes. And this will be considered in the category of working of miracles found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, working of miracles. Something that's supernaturally multiplied is is obviously a miracle. And this is called working of miracles. But you know that, stop and think about it, we, 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 let, we locate that, we label that as a working of miracle. But really when it comes down to it, everything that God does is an act of love. Everything He does is because of His love for us. Everything that He gives to us on a daily basis is, is because He loves us. He saved us because He loved us. He baptized with the Holy Spirit because He loves us. Amen. He gave us the Scriptures because He loves us. And so Jesus provided, let's pick up in verse 35. That's Matthew 15 and verse 35. And he, so it says, He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fishes. And what did He do? He gave thanks. Now, that's really important right there. Now, Jesus is showing us how to operate in the supernatural right here. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go feed thousands of people, okay? It's, but there's a principle that's here that's really important, okay? They've got, he's got ins, insufficient, at first, he's got seven loaves and a couple of fishes, and that is not enough to feed thousands of people, a little boy's lunch, Okay? And so, verse 36 says, He took the seven loaves and the fish, and He gave 
thanks. Now nothing's happened yet. And he broke them and he gave to the disciples and to the multitude and all did eat and were filled and they took up that were broken uh, of the broken meat that was left seven basket full. Now they just fed thousands of people. Now they, I did some research on this and basically what, what, what happened here, showing you a little picture of what happened here. Jesus was looking up. He was looking to the Father. And he gave thanks for what he had in his hands. Okay, He had seven loaves, two fishes in his hands. That's not enough to feed a multitude. And he gave thanks and he kept giving thanks because he would give to his disciples. He kept giving thanks. Here they are again. They supernaturally appeared in his hands. Give his disciples. Give. And his, his disciples acted like ushers. Because he had them sit down and, you know, in groups. Okay, numbers of groups. And so they acted as ushers and they... They didn't do the miracle, but they helped accomplish the miracle. Amen? And so what happened is he just kept giving thanks and kept giving thanks. And God said, okay, here's some more. Here's some more. Until they had seven basketfuls left over. Amen? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Seven basketfuls left over. All right? So here's the principle that I want you to see in here is this, that when we give thanks in the midst of lack, shortage, something supernatural is going to take place. I just heard a testimony recently about a lady where her husband had passed away, you know, and she was a younger woman. She had three kids. And, uh, and this is years ago. And she didn't have money for food because she wasn't left with a lot. She, they were pretty much starving. They didn't have enough food for her kids and everything, you know. And so uh, she told her kids, we're going to eat tonight. And they're like, Mommy, there's no food here, you know. And so the, she had them sit down. She says, we're going to give thanks to the Lord right now for our, our meal tonight. We're going to give thanks. And they're like, okay, you know. <laughs> but she felt led of the Lord to do this. And she sat, had them, the kids sit down and she just offered thanks. They have no food there. There's no food on the table. And she, they, she said, Lord, thank you for all the provision for us. We give you thanks for the meal tonight. And she said, as soon as she got done praying, they heard a, they heard a vehicle pull up in their driveway. They lived out in the country. There's a knock on the door. And somebody came and said, the Lord just spoke to them and, and told us to to uh, give you this and they opened up her, her trunk and there was tons of groceries in there all kinds of food and for the family you know but it came as she was giving thanks and then the Lord spoke to them and said go buy this lady some groceries they didn't, they didn't even know okay they didn't, this lady didn't announce it and this is not only the first time that I've heard this happen I've heard it happen different times with different people maybe in a little different way but the principle was this. She was operating by faith. She said, Lord, I, even though I don't see it right now, I don't see the food, I don't see the provision, I'm going to give you thanks right now. And sure enough, and I'll tell you, those kids never forgot that. Amen? Always remember this. God doesn't live in your mailbox. Okay? Years, many years ago, when I, we started our first church, our first ministry, you know, um, the Lord dealt with me about stepping out and so forth. And uh, this is, I was 23 years old when this, this took place, you know. And, and, I, and the Lord started dealing with me about just trusting Him, okay. And uh, 
And I said, well, Lord, you're going to have to provide because, I mean, I don't, we don't have it here from the natural, you know, because we had to pay for our, our, play, our place where we were staying. Then we had to pay for the building that we were renting at the time. There was no way from the natural that we, this could have been done. And I'll never forget. The Lord just he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, you know. And I remember um, back then our budget for the entire month, everything was $1,200. That's church, personal, everything, Okay. Well, it's changed a lot since then, but, you know, and uh, we're talking in 1986, all right? And um, so I remember one day, and I had my office in one of our little side bedrooms. We had a really small little house that we rented, you know, at this time. And, uh, and every, every day that the, the mail truck would pull up in front on the road in front of our house, there was a little area he could pull over, you know, and you would hear him and so forth. And then you would hear the clink of the mailbox, you know. It was a metal mailbox, you know. And so this one day I went down there and I went through the mail, you know, and I didn't expect anything really. And all of a sudden there was an envelope in there from somebody that we had met when we lived in the state of Texas. And they said this, the Lord has put you on our hearts and we, uh, you know, we just couldn't get you off our hearts and we felt led to send you a a check for $1,200. And so they wrote a check out to us for $1,200. I had never had that happen to me before. That was a miracle, you know. But here's what happened, and I was so excited, you know. Here's what happened. The next month came around, okay. And, uh, but I noticed I got into a bad rut. I got into a bad habit because I would hear that truck pull up every day. You know, hear the mailbox, you know what I'm saying. And I would run down to the mailbox, and I would look into the mailbox. Every single day I'd look in there. Nothing's there except bills or whatever, you know, advertisement. And I hear I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, not with these ears, but inside me. He said, do you think I live in a mailbox? I said, oh, God, forgive me. Because I know just because you did it one way one time doesn't mean you're going to do it the same way every time. Okay? But I, I got caught up in that because I was limiting God. Okay? I'm thinking the only way I could be blessed is through the mailbox, right? So, I'm... I'm I was sort of embarrassed with it. I was like, oh, God, forgive me for doing this. You know what I mean? Because I'm limiting you right now. Please forgive me, Father. I look to you. I'm not going to try to figure out how you're going to do it. All right? And so uh, I made the adjustment. You know, I made the adjustment inside, you know, and I said, no, no, I'm not. And I was tempted to run down to the mailbox again, you know, when it come. But I said, nope, nope, no. Nope. I'm going to show some resistance here. I'm not going to do that. Amen. And I'd be, you'd be surprised how God came through different ways okay, as we went forward and so forth, how things took place, praise God. But the Bible says in the book of Psalms that the Israelites, they turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God in the wilderness. Limit God. Is it possible for you and I to limit God? Yeah. Is it possible to take the limits off God? Of course. I think where we, where we get into trouble a lot of times is we're, we're going by what we see, particularly what we see and what we hear, and we're basing what we believe on what we see and what we hear instead of in the living God, which is apart from our five physical senses. Okay? Because uh, that's why it says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. Amen? Always remember that your job is not your source. Now, God's not saying quit your job, but always remember there's one source, and that's God. 
All right. Of course, he'll use your job and different things like that. But always remember, your source is God. Now, there's a lot of people, sad to say, that they're wrapped in, they're wrapped up in their identity about the job that they have. Okay. And if they if they lose their job or they quit their job, they lose their identity. Now, a person might be a lawyer, they might be a doctor. That's what they do, but that's not who they are. Okay. I'm a pastor. That's not who I am. That's what I do. That's my calling. Amen. But I know who I am in Christ Jesus. So it's really important that our identity is not wrapped up in what we do or what we don't do, the type of job that we have, or maybe we're in transition. It's, that's not what's important. What's important is to, do we know who we are, who we are in Christ, how God sees us. Amen. And so uh, this miracle took place by giving thanks. Now, how would that affect us today? How would that affect us throughout this week? Something to really think about. I always try to, I always purpose in my heart, because I feel like the Lord wants me to do that, to leave us with something that we can put into practice every time we leave on Sunday morning. When we leave this place and we go out, we're like, what did he talk about? I don't want it to be like that. It was a nice sermon, but I forgot what he talked about. (laughs) You know? Use big words, fancy words. No, that's not what it's all. We want to keep it very simple and, you know, that a first grader could get this, right? And so today I want to kind of leave you with this that let's start all of us, because I mean, I look at my own life and I can come up higher in this area. What I'm talking about right now, I need to come up to in this area is to be more grateful, be more thankful. Amen? It's hard to be, oh, it's hard to be continually good to some person that is not thankful in the first place. <laughs> you do something for someone and they're expecting it. I mean, stop and think about it. Have you ever been good to somebody and then there's no thank you, there's no like, man, I appreciate that, you know. And it's almost like they're expecting it from you. Well, the last thing you want to do is give to them again. Do you think God's any different? No. Why should he? Why should God continually bless people that are unthankful and ungrateful? I mean, there's, there's no reason to. Hallelujah. But you know, it's, it's a sign of respect. When we respect God, just like you respect, do you like it when people respect you? I think it's one of the, the biggest things in society today is people, you know, our younger generation has to be taught to respect. Okay? That's something that's been missing for a lot of years. Okay? I still believe in, in saying, I don't know, I'm, I'm just not trying to be old-fashioned, but I believe in saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, even if the guy's younger than me. Okay, just to show respect, because when you show respect and sow respect, then you get that back. Okay, Amen. Some people I've had almost like a double take when I say it to them. You know, like a mechanic or someone that's all like, you know, he's got. You can tell he's had a pretty rough life. You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking to him. I'll say, Yes, sir. It's almost like, What do you call me, sir, for? You know what I mean? But they're they're not used to hearing that, right? But how much more when we show respect to God? Something always disturbed me when people, particularly in the media, they, they refer to God as the man upstairs. You ever hear, heard that phrase before? You had a man upstairs, you know, like, he's not the man upstairs. He's God. And he's not just like a man. He's not a man. Amen? Now, I know what people are saying. They're trying to be cool about it, you know. 
almost if God has tattoos or something. You know what I mean? But it's like the man upstairs. You know, that's, no, that's, he's not the man upstairs. The Bible doesn't call him the man upstairs. It never has and never will. He's God. He's Abba Father. Amen? Now, why do I say that? Because people try to humanize God so much so that they, they lose that element of respect for him. That I don't know about you, but I, I want to have a wholesome respect. That's what the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom, is a wholesome respect towards God and the things of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? And so, remember this today, is, is practice giving thanks. Just start out every day, just, Lord, I just want to thank you. When you go, your eyes pop open in the morning, you just say, first thing, God, I thank you today. Thank you for this day. Lord, there's many challenges before me today, but with your grace, I can make it through today. With your help today, I can make it through today because your presence is dwelling in me. Amen? God is in you if you're a Christian. He's not just over there somewhere, up there somewhere. He is living on the inside of you. The greater one is inside you. And he'll cause you to triumph. He'll cause you to win in life. Okay, let's close with this uh, Quickly over in Acts 16. In Acts chapter 16, we'll close with this scripture and then we'll receive our communion this morning. This sort of rhymes, but I've heard it said like this. Gratitude, which is thanksgiving. Gratitude will affect your attitude. Gratitude will affect your attitude. There are people that complain a lot about our country and the problems in our country. Don't get me wrong, we have problems in our country. Like any country, there's no perfect country. But we sure have a lot going for us that a lot of countries don't. Amen? Look at Argentina right now. We're a socialist government. Is it Argentina? I think it is. Those, those people are, man, I'm telling you, they're having a really rough time down there. The, the, the government, the socialism trying to come in there and take over, it's, it's of the devil, you know, and it's just stripping the people of everything that they need down there. And it used to be a very prosperous country. But thank God, now the devil's trying to make our country a socialist country, but he ain't. Amen. I'm not trying to be political. This is spiritual. Forget the politics. This country will never be a socialistic country. The devil wants to make it that way. And there are people that are listening to the devil that are running for president that want to make it a socialistic government. Let me tell you something. It's of the devil. It will never come to pass. But he still tries. He still pushes. Okay? It's so true. And, uh, but, you know, people talk about the government, complain about this and that, but there's so much in this country we can be thankful for, freedoms that we have. Now you stop and think about the men and the women through the years, through the ages that shed their blood so that you and I could have freedoms that we experience right now. Think about that. Men and women that gave up their lives, you know, literally laid their life down for, the, for our good, you know. And uh, there's just something about when I see something, somebody that's in the military or even an officer or something like that, I just immediately have respect towards them. And there are many times I've gone up to some, as the Lord leads me, I've gone up to some and say, thank you for your service. I saw an old gentleman one time had a World War II hat on, you know. And uh, 
and the, the boat that he was on, it was on his hat, like, you know, and I went up to him and I said, thank you, sir, for your service. Thank you so much, you know. And it was like you handed him a million bucks, you know. But, we, we, you know, these, these men and women paid a dear price. Many of them went over there and never came back to their, left their families and came, never came back, you know. And so we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Praise God. Now, in Acts chapter 16, I want to close here. In verse 16, it says this. And it came to pass that we went to prayer. A certain girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This is Paul and Silas. Which brought her masters much gain for soothsaying. Or in other words, fortune telling. This lady had a demonic spirit in her that was a supernatural element, by the way. And that's how she was giving, getting money. And it says, verse 17, The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And thus she did many days. But Paul, verse 18, being grieved in his spirit, turned and said to the spirit. Notice he spoke to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that same hour. So maybe at first it didn't look like anything happened. That Paul gave the command, and within an hour, within 60 minutes, that's a real 60-minute show right there. <laughs> the devil came out of her. In verse 19, when her masters saw that their hope for their gain, in other words, their pocketbook was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace and the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, now they're lying about them here. These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. Verse 22. When the multitude rose up together against them, the magistrate uh, rent off or tore off their clothes and commanded to beat them. All right? Verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the, the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, we all know this. We all know this story, right? We've, we've heard this. We've read this before. Paul and Silas, you know. And uh, they did a good thing. They cast a spirit out of a girl who had a spirit of divination. And so she would follow them many days and she would cry out saying, these are servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. Now here's the thing. What she said wasn't wrong, but it's the spirit behind her that was causing the problems. Paul said, thus she, the scripture says she did this many days. So it didn't happen just once or twice. She did this many days. And so it's not what she said, but it was the spirit that was driving her to say this. And Paul was grieved in his spirit. He said, something ain't right here. Sometimes people can say the right thing, but the wrong spirit's behind it. <laughs> you're like, oh, it just doesn't feel good. Something's not right here. Okay? And so it was affecting, because she was publicly doing this, Paul had to deal with it publicly. This was not behind the doors type thing. All right, this was a public thing, so therefore Paul had to deal with it in, in a public manner. You with me? And so he cast the spirit out. And that spirit that was in her, that demon spirit that was in this girl, is, one, is, is the whole reason why she was able to do fortune telling and tell people their so-called future and so forth and so on. 
and she was making a lot of money for these two guys, right? And they were pocketing all the money, but they were, the devil was used. They didn't really care for this girl. They just wanted the money. And so when they realized that their hope for gain was gone, okay, they, they spread a lie about Paul and Silas. They said, these guys are doing all kind of stuff here, you know, and it's not right for us to observe this, you know. And, and then ultimately they got beat, right? Their backs were bleeding and so forth. So uh, they were lied about, correct? Now, most people would be like, oh, man, this is a bad day right here. Because it says, they thrust them. Verse 23, it says, when they laid many stripes upon them. Not just one stripe. In other words, they were whipped. Cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. So, in other words, they were bleeding. Their backs were bleeding. They were beat severely. And they tore their clothes and their feet and their hands were in those stocks. You ever see those stocks? They can't, which in, in, in inhibits you to move your hands and your feet. Correct? And they're in, a, in a, they're in a rat infested prison at this time. That's the way they were over there. They weren't nice. They didn't have televisions and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> this is a bad place here. They tell us that you know, Rick Renner said that the, the, the city sewage would run underneath these jails. That's how bad they were. Okay, they put them in the worst place possible, you know. Well, here's the thing. They could bind with their, with their uh, things. They could bind their hands and their feet, but they, you know what they couldn't bind? Their tongues. They couldn't bind their tongues. Now, Paul and Silas, I mean, they're bleeding. They did, they're, now, they're not in jail because they were smuggling drugs. Okay, they were not in jail because of something bad. They were in jail because they did something right and something good. Okay? Now, here, how do you respond when something bad like that happens? You've been lied about? They were lied about, weren't they? And it says, uh, verse 25, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Everybody say overflow. Now here you have two guys, Paul and Silas, that did something, but the other people in the prison got the, the benefits of what they were doing. Think about that. Now, the Bible says that they weren't quiet about it. They were in prison. Think about that. And at midnight, they prayed and they sang praises to God. Don't, no, don't you know this is not your typical place where people do this in jail? You pray and sing praises to God in church. But what about in prison? <laughs> There's a principle that's really powerful here. Okay? At midnight, that's the darkest hour. They prayed. Now, hold your place right here. And go over real quickly to one scripture in Psalms 119 and verse 62. I want you to see, I believe this is where they got this scripture and gave them precedence to do what they're doing. Psalms 119 verse 16. I'll notice up here it says, go to that last verse that you had there. At midnight, notice this, I will rise and give thanks unto the Lord because of thy righteous judgments. Now go back to Acts 16. At midnight, 
25, verse 25 of Acts 16. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. Whew. Glory be to God. Amen. Now, it's interesting because you can actually fulfill Scripture by looking at a Scripture, acting upon it, and let it, and it you know, you see this phrase throughout the Bible, and, and it came to pass, that which was spoken. It came to pass, that which was spoken. You can take a Scripture that's been written thousands of years ago and believe it and speak it in your life, and you can literally fulfill Scripture in your life. That's what these guys were doing right here. At midnight I will sing praises. That's what it said. At midnight I will rise and give thanks. Now, of course, they're not thanking God that they're hurting or bleeding. They're not thanking God that they're in prison unjustly. But they're giving thanks to God for who God is. And then God sent an angel down there, shook that prison, literally shook. The Bible says the whole entire prison shook under the power of God. An angel did that. And it says that every man's bands were loose. In other words, their feet and hands were in the stocks. They were loosed. Okay? There was so much power that went into that prison that Paul and Silas didn't just get delivered. Everyone. Now, here's the miracle. All the bands were loosed. All the doors were open. And nobody left. How many of you know that's a miracle? If you got out of the nearest prison, you know, and all of a sudden all the doors open up, you know, and no one's going to sit there and say, well, you know, they're going to be looking for the window. They're going to be the fastest door to get out of there, right? See, the miracle was is because the glory of God went into that prison. And, the, you know, the rest of the story, we don't have time to read it, but the, 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 the head of the prison had such a demand. His job was such that if anybody escaped under his watch, that was a death sentence to him. Okay, it was a very important job, you know, as far as they were concerned. But if anybody got escaped under his watch, uh, he would have to, he would be killed for that. Okay, and that's why he went. He was going to fall on his sword. He was going to kill himself because he knew what was going to await him. And Paul shouted out. He says, "Do yourself no harm. We're all here." Now, church history has it. That the jail, that this, the head of this jailer became the pastor in in Philippi, because the power of God was so strong that came into that place, that this church, a church, actually started out of this, amen. But if you just go back upstream, where did this all start? It started with some action that took place. Paul and Silas decided to do something spiritually. Hallelujah. It was going to break the bands of the devil in this situation. And they gave thanks to God. They gave praise to God. And, I, you know, you know as well as I do that the prisoners that were in there were probably, shut up, we don't want to hear this. Getting on our nerves, you know, and some other choice words, you know. But, all, but I'm telling you what, they couldn't argue because when, when that angel came down there and shook that prison, and bam, the power of God, nobody wanted to move. They wanted to stay under the power and the glory of God. Amen. You know, I remember, I'll close with this. I remember back in 1983, I, was a, I came back from Bible school. And, uh, and I ended up getting a job as being a janitor in my church that I came out of. Okay, ultimately, within a few weeks, I became the assistant pastor because the pastor moved on and so forth. 
of this church. Long story short, this is an inner city church. It's still there to this day. And they, they met in a theater. It used to be a, a regular theater. And I think even before it was a theater, it was a, uh, uh, a place where they made alcohol and beer and stuff like that. Then a theater, okay? It's in Mount Oliver, all right? And, um, and so the, the pastor asked me, he was going away for the weekend. He asked my wife and I, you know, and this is way back, uh, like I said, in 1983, they asked us to take the prayer meeting. They would have a prayer meeting every Saturday night, okay? And so uh, I said, sure, yeah, we'll do that. You know, so we had a little prayer meeting. We had a little room back in this. This, this is a massive building, by the way. It's a big, huge building. And uh, they got it for almost nothing, this building. It was, but it's, I mean, it's an inner city type church. You know what I mean? It's, it's got three floors, you know, and big, big, big building. And so there was a lot of work involved there, you know. And so we went back in this little room, and uh, we had our prayer meeting, Okay. It would hold maybe 15, 20 people at the most in this tiny little room. Not even as, even half, more than half the size of this room, small room. And so we went back there and we started to pray. And I, I led the people, you know, we're going to pray for this. We're going to pray for the service. We're going to pray for the people, you know. And, and we, we started to pray in the spirit and so forth. And, uh, and it just, it, you could just tell, it was one of, the, one of those meetings of the spirit of prayer was like, it, nobody, it wasn't like trying to force people to pray. People really wanted to jump in and pray. You know what I mean? And so we started doing that. And within 30 minutes, within God is my witness, within 30 minutes, we heard, you know, we could hear out in the hallway there, we heard this bang, 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 somebody beating on the door really loud. I mean, almost like they were going to break it, you know? So somebody... I said, go see what's going on out there. So somebody went out there, you know, and, uh, and sure enough, within a minute or less, all these firemen came in with their hoses and with their axes and, and their helmets on. I mean, everything. I mean, firemen. They, I mean, they had their hoses. They ran them into the building, and they said, there's a fire on the roof of the church. And we're thinking, oh, my God, we're having a prayer meeting, and the church is on fire. Okay? That's what we're thinking, Right? So they went up there, spent about 30 minutes up there, went up through the hatch in the roof on top of the roof. I mean, this is a big building. It's still there to this day. And they had a satellite dish up there. You know, we used to have a satellite ministry, you know, and that we'd get from, from Dallas. Remember that? Tilton's. <laughs> and, uh, and so they came down. They, they were just baffled. They said, we don't understand. She said, several people in the neighborhood called the, the fire company, local fire company there in Mount Oliver, and said that there was flames coming off the roof, okay? And, uh, and more than one person saw it. And so they called and said, you've got to take care of this, you know, because if that thing, this church was so close to other buildings that it could have caught on to other, like, row houses and stuff, because it's an inner city place, everything's real tight. It could have spread the fire to other buildings and so forth. Have you ever been in that building? Yeah. You were there? Okay. And, um, and now here we're thinking the building's literally on fire. We're like, oh, God. You know, what do we do here? You know, let the firemen take care of this, you know. And the pastor, like I said, he was out of town. Those firemen came down, and they were just baffled. They said, we don't understand it. There's no sign of any fire up there whatsoever. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, we're like, we went back, and this is an hour went by. We're back in. All the people were in the prayer meeting. Nobody left. And we're in this room. (laughs) And um, 
And like I said, we had a really strong prayer meeting. It was so powerful, you know. You didn't have to encourage people to pray. They just wanted to jump in and pray. And all of a sudden we realized that God just did a sign and a wonder, and we didn't even realize it. We didn't even realize it until it was all said and done. Now, we weren't, we weren't praying that that would happen. But through the years, I've heard examples where, like, the Bible says they placed where they prayed with, and here the, sh- the, pr- the prison was shaking under the power of God, like an earthquake. But it wasn't an earthquake. It was an angel. Okay? And, uh, and then all of a sudden we just realized that sometimes God will do a sign and a wonder just to show that He's God. Amen? And I'll tell you what, we had some powerful meetings after that in that service, in those churches. I'm telling you what, things started to take place. This is many years ago. And, uh, and it just goes to show you that God can still do signs and wonders and miracles. And, it, and I believe it's a, we act and then God acts. It's not just God acting. We, we take a step. We do something and then God does something. It's always that way. Like the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. It's something. We start with it. We, and that just doesn't mean money, but it means we give of ourselves. We give, and then it's going to be given back to us. Well, the Bible says we're to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And as the early church did that, the number of disciples multiplied. It increased. There was supernatural increase. Glory be to God. And all it takes is just two people coming together that are in agreement. Amen? I don't have time to get into it, but you know, back in my... Even before I was in the ministry, I, I, had, I started having prayer meetings with a good friend of mine that I was able to lead to the Lord when I was in high school, junior high school actually. And we used to have, nobody told us to, we just felt want, like we wanted to have prayer meetings in his basement every Friday night. And I tell you, we just him and I, just him and I, we started doing this. We didn't know anything about prayer. We just did what we knew to do, right? We started having prayer meetings, started praying for family members and stuff. And one by one, they all started coming into the kingdom of God. Didn't happen all at once, but one by one, and the bad ones got saved first. The hard ones, the real difficult ones. I wish I had time, but I don't. But the fact is, when we take a stand and when we do something, we give, when we uh, stand here and we say, Father, just like this, I give you thanks and I give you praise. Hallelujah. There's shockwaves that are going out into the realm of the Spirit by you saying that. And it's, it affects heaven but it also affects hell because it comes against hell. It comes against what he's doing. And nothing can stand in the presence of thanksgiving and praise before our God because he is God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 